0: Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hello, everyone. I'm
1: Mark Magnaca, and I want to welcome you to our first episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. I'm excited to be here with Adam Scully Power. Adam has an amazing story that he's going to share with us. That's really all about expanding the boundaries of what you believe is possible. And what's most interesting is he's someone that has done it. He's done it firsthand as someone who was not an endurance athlete and who, as you'll hear, had this epiphany several years ago that transformed what he believed was possible for himself And I think you'll see there are a number of lessons in this that are relevant for all of us listening. So first, welcome, Adam. Hi, I'm Mark. Pleasure to be with you today. Adam, I want to start right off um, and ask you about the catalyst for you becoming an endurance athlete. What was the setup for you? Um, Well, I've
2: always been athletic. Um, I played football in high school, uh, played rugby in college, and... You know, after college, I did a number of triathlons, but I think like many of us, the busyness of everyday life and family and personal responsibilities can, can sometimes take over and often at the expense of our health and well-being. And in essence, that's what happened to me. Seven years ago on the cusp of my 40th birthday, I found myself 50 pounds overweight, um, out of shape and, and really unable to run a mile without stopping. And so what began for me simply as an attempt to lose a few pounds and get back into shape really sparked what I'll call a transformational health journey into the world of ultra distance sports. I'd never would have imagined I'd be here today talking to you about it, but but my story began simply enough by watching a documentary film that advocated a more plant-based approach to eating. And what followed was not just significant weight loss, but really a return to running in an effort to burn off um, some of the newfound energy that I had. Um, I went into a coffee shop one morning and I bumped into a friend of mine who was an avid runner. Um, he was the person in town that that was described as doing all these what crazy races. And I asked him simply, what are you training for? And he had such passion and enthusiasm as he began to describe what was a 110-mile ultra marathon. Now, at the time, like I couldn't even comprehend how anyone um, could even
1: run that far. And-, well, and let's just put this in perspective for our listeners here. The average marathon, like the Boston Marathon, is 26.2 miles. And that, in and of itself, is an extraordinary uh, physical achievement for, for almost everyone who does it. Yeah, and then you right. have people who do the Ironman, right? The Ironman, which is yeah, comprised yeah. of swimming, running, and bike, biking. That's right. Yeah. And then in this case, the race he was doing, what was that
2: one called? Uh, it was it was called the uh, one hundred and ten mile uh, ultra marathon. It was in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but what happened was in that coffee shop that day, as he's describing this event to me, and re- and remember not too much before that. I was 50 pounds overweight. I had watched this documentary. I had changed my diet and I'd started running a little bit more, but, but so early on and he stopped mid sentence and he looked me square in the eyes. And what he said to me, he said six words that really has changed the trajectory of my life. And, and that is, you should do it with me. And you love friends like that, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's, 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 it's what I call the, these moments, I call them the, um, the affirmational nudge, and, that, and that's when someone sees something in you that you at the time may not even see or believe in yourself. And Mark, what I have come to realize and learn is that the world conspires around you now and then to present an opportunity, a moment, and you have to be open to it and willing to act. And so what I did was I started to run a little bit more with this aspirational goal of an ultra marathon not knowing if i could even finish it uh, and just two short months after that chance encounter in the coffee shop i ended up towing the line next to my friend david uh, and and finished 110 miles in a little over 24 hours and I, and i will just i will tell you crossing that final finish line fundamentally changed my perspective on what i thought was possible not just athletically but really in in almost every aspect of my life.
1: So, Adam, I think we just need to give listeners a moment to pause and digest what you just <laughs> said, because, you know, again, put this in perspective. If you're running a marathon like the Boston Marathon, if you're, a, you're an elite runner, you might be running it in the, in the two-hour-plus time range. And if you're not an elite runner, uh, it might take you five to six hours to get through um, the 26.2 miles. And most people are really exhausted at the end of that period of time. So in this case, for you to do a hundred miles, basically four marathons, you had to run nonstop for 24 hours. And so I'm just imagining there's gotta be different uh, mental walls that you go through after you run the equivalent of a, a marathon. Like how were you feeling at mile 27? This
2: was, this was a few years ago. I, I will tell you it was, the, it was the hardest physical and mental thing I'd ever done in my life at that point. And The approach we took, um, given just how long the race is, is really to go slow and steady and try and be consistent throughout. And then consistency is something that I think um, is really helpful in these kinds of big goals in essence that we have. And so that's what we did. We began uh, just one step in front of the other and consistently worked our way through it, um, ultimately finishing the 110 miles. And, And as I said a second ago, it really changed my perspective on kind of all aspects of life and and what I started to think was possible. And and I've been on this journey over the last uh, seven years, progressively trying harder and harder events in the uh, endurance world. Um, It sort of culminated most recently in October in a race that is known as the Uberman Ultra Triathlon. And outside Magazine Uh, has dubbed it the world's hardest endurance race. Um, Maybe I think you're going to show a short video clip here. Yeah, let me
1: just, uh, just for benefit of our viewers, I'm going to show you just 60 seconds. And for those of you listening, you'll hear it. Uh, This sets the stage for um, a, a race that you can only imagine the setup of the people creating this race. And what they were thinking in terms of what human beings are capable of when they put it together. So here's the uh, the preview. I'm going to show you just 60 seconds of this clip.
0: Beyond the ultra is the Uber, a race unlike any other, surpassing the extreme into the realm of the seemingly impossible. This is the Uber. A 556-mile non-stop triathlon across Southern California, considered one of the world's hardest endurance races, where the physical challenge is only surpassed by the mental strength required. It starts with a 21-mile swim in the Pacific Ocean, from Catalina Island to the shores of Palos Verdes. A 400-mile bike ride climbs over 20,000 feet through the mountains, before descending deep into the heart of the Californian desert at Badwater Basin, the lowest point in North America. From there, athletes run 135 miles across the scorching heat of Death Valley and then ascend over 8,000 feet above sea level to the finish line at Mount Whitney Port.
1: That is, uh, if you just think about that as you're listening to this, and you put yourself in the perspective of the, uh, a 21-mile swim in the Pacific Ocean as sort of the opening salvo. When you first heard about this race, despite what you'd already done with the 100-mile race, what was your first impression?
2: Well, what happened, Mark, was um, over the years I've done numerous ultra-marathons sort of progressively getting harder and harder a couple of years ago Um, I did what was called the Triple Crown of 200s, which is uh, three 200-mile-plus ultramarathons across um, some of the biggest mountain ranges in the U.S. I was fortunate enough to get through that, although it was extraordinarily difficult. And what happened was I applied for a race that's known as Badwater 135. Mm -hmm. It's 135 miles across Death Valley, considered one of the toughest ones out there. Um, And I applied, but I I didn't get selected. And I was disappointed, of course, but I understood because I don't really have a long running resume. And so when I was looking for something to do other than Badwater 135, I started clicking around the internet one day saying, "You know, what else is there other than Badwater 135? And I came across this race that you just highlighted called Uberman. And And I just
1: want to put it in perspective. I can't imagine that there's like tens of thousands of people fighting to sign up for this thing, or Uh, are there? There is not <laughs> the, um, you know
2: it's uh, you know when I when I saw this what what it is is and we just showed it it's a 21 mile open ocean swim mostly at night um, a 400 mile bike and then the third leg of this triathlon is the Badwater 135 course so when I saw it I said gosh this will be my chance to do the Badwater 135 course I might have to do a swim and a bike ahead of it um, I'm I I'm not a swimmer I mean I know how to swim. Um, but the swim was absolutely uh, terrifying. It's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to describe plunging into the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Catalina, knowing you have 21 miles of ocean in front of you until you reach the shore um, in the pitch darkness of night. And, and to make matters worse, uh, three days before the race was to begin, there was a gentleman who was on a kayak right off the shores of Catalina uh, I, I like to describe it as wildlife. Something came out of the water, grabbed the front of his kayak, uh, realized it was not edible and let go. But the two teeth that were left behind, they estimated to be a 19-foot great white shark. So um, it was a terrifying experience to be in the water, but I was, uh, I was thrilled to get through the swim, uh, got through the bike, and, uh, and got through the run and managed um, to not only finish, but uh, surpassing even my own expectations, and uh, and took a fair amount of time off, what was or had been at that point the course record. And just how many people finished that race? Um, this year, there was three people that finished. Um, there's only a few people that have ever finished in the history of this race, which is only a couple of years. And um, and I was I was I was re- I was really happy to finish and managed to carve uh, 41 hours off what at the time was the course record.
1: So you came in first in this particular race uh, over the two other people that finished as well.
2: Yes, although I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd call it a race. It's, it's probably more aptly described as an odyssey, and that's, the race director describes it that way. And, and I, I think that's right. These things are um, they're huge challenges. Um, they're huge goals, but they're really... Um, they're really odysseys and adventures, if you will.
1: Well, the reason I'm asking, Adam, is primarily when you, and I know the Iron Man has expanded the definition of what you think about as the Iron Man. It's clearly Iron Women. It's young people. It's senior citizens. It's, it's really an amazing group. But for this kind of thing, I think it's natural to sort of um, expect that it's someone in their 20s or maybe early 30s who, who has the endurance to do that. So the fact of someone in their 40s doing it is um, is pretty significant.
2: Yeah, you know what you actually find in these endurance events is that the average age is older, and I and I think I I don't know if I were younger if I would be able to do it, and part of that is as we get older we we tend to have more patience, mm-hmm. um, and we tend to approach these types of things differently, and so the sort of the line that people use, it's not necessarily who goes the fastest, it's the person who can slow down the least. And so again, going back to that idea of consistency uh, and just perseverance sort of one step at a time um, really is what becomes the most important attributes in these kind of longer distance events.
1: And the next question I had for you is, what have you learned about reimagining the boundaries of what's possible and taking action From your experience as an athlete?
2: I I like the way you phrase that, sort of reimagining the boundaries. And I think what I've come to realize is each of us is sitting on this enormous, um, what I'll call untapped reservoir of human potential. And we all have the power to achieve so much more than we think we can. Um, But you'll never realize what you're truly capable of until you until you force yourself to stretch, to, to be uncomfortable and, and really to try something that you think may currently exceed your abilities. And over all these years, uh, and in particular in these endurance endeavors that I've taken on, what I've come to realize and learn is that mindset is everything, whether it's business, athletics, or even life. And that the boundaries of the limits that we place upon ourselves are really only defined by what the mind believes is possible and the willingness to put in the relentless amount of hard work required to pursue them. It, it, it sort of starts by, by entertaining the seemingly impossible, if you will, and often to courageously leap through the fear and, and sometimes limiting beliefs that can hold us back. Um, I, I guess what I'd say is probably the most important thing I've learned through all of this is this idea to really place value on the process of pursuing the goal more so than the outcome itself. And don't get me wrong, I'm a goal-oriented person, um, as as you may be able to tell. But what I've come to find out is that for me, happiness, personal growth, fulfillment in life um, tends to come more from what I'll call the curiosity uh, the exploration, and the process of pursuing a goal rather than whether or not you achieve it. I, I, I find too often most people put all the value to be in the result, but it's that process that we endure, which is often of far
1: greater value than the actual goal itself if achieved. So the message I've taken from what you said just thus far is this this need for all of us, especially with what we're going through in this this post-COVID time to reimagine the boundaries of what's keeping us in place.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right, but there's, um, and listen, I'm guilty of that myself in many aspects of life. I think one of the elements though, entwined within that is, or kind of what holds us back is um, is fear of failure. And, and And in part that is worried about I guess, the sort of judgment of others if we don't accomplish the goal. And I have evolved a lot as a person. I used to always view the finish line as the definer of success and failure. And, and how I've evolved is, is redefining that where success is the pursuit of the goal. And as long as you're getting up every single day with a goal, and as long as you're putting in that hard work and you're working towards it, then by the very definition, you can't fail because you're, you're working towards something. Sure. Um, and every now and then you'll surprise yourself on what you can accomplish. But uh, it's a very liberating way to approach things. Um, and, and it's candidly the reason why I've attempted some of these races over the last couple of years that that I would have thought were
1: far beyond my own capabilities. Well, you also had the the mental... Strength that comes from from your first race with the Pan Mass Challenge uh, that I read about. Once you've done it, right? Once you've done one and you continue to push yourself, you, you get to a certain point where you think, I couldn't care less what anybody else thinks about whether I finish or I don't finish. The, I'm, I'm doing this for a reason that's bigger than that. And, and that leads me to my next question, which is despite the the process that you're talking about, which I believe in, How do you push yourself on those days you wake up, Adam, and you just don't feel like getting out of bed? It's rainy and gloomy in Boston. It's cold. It's icy. And you're thinking, you know, do I really need to go out and run today? How do you overcome or do you not even ask yourself that question? No, I I have those days just like everybody else. But
2: um, I think it gets back to what we just talked about a little bit, which is learning to love the process Mm. and embracing the hard work required to take on any goal um, and really the struggle you you've really got to love the the idea of the struggle and the pursuit um, whether that's preparing for an ultra endurance event whether that's reaching a sales goal you may have or or any project at work for that matter so um, for me i think about it this way that kind of every great achievement is built upon small little actions. They may seem very insignificant individually, but they accumulate over time to build momentum. And once in motion, momentum creates a positive feedback loop. It bolsters your confidence. And what it does is it motivates you to keep moving forward. So embrace the process, the daily actions that are required to pursue those goals. Um, they're in essence necessary prerequisites to build the momentum and the momentum can be a very, very powerful force as you think about goal setting. I, I, I would think about it this way, Mark, is you're, you're likely going to spend months or even years preparing for any kind of big goal. Right? And, and if, you're, if you're able to it, if you reach the proverbial finish line at most, you're only gonna spend a few minutes there. And while those, those few moments, they're, they're incredibly special, but they represent such a tiny percentage of the time dedicated to the pursuit of the goal. And so when you look back, for me, some of my most fondest memories is from the journey towards the finish line more than the finish line itself.
1: So let me come to a very tactical question for you, which is, you have a full-time job. It's a pretty intense job. You traveled up up until COVID time. You traveled really extensively. Um, How do you adapt working full-time in the financial services business to find time to train to do a race like Uberman?
2: Well, any of these races, I mean, the short answer is um, it's not easy. Um, fitting in training with a full-time job. I have four kids um, and all of life's demands. It requires you to be, I think, incredibly organized, Mm -hmm. um, to get get up very early and take advantage of every minute of the day. Um, And of course, uh, having an incredibly supportive spouse and family (laughs) to to try and pull all these things together because they they are huge commitments. Um, When I'm training for a race, I would I would get up about 4.30 in the morning. I would get on my bike in my garage and start spinning um, where I could get kind of two and a half hours in before my my kids would even get up. So I'd take advantage of that time.
1: Let me pivot from that to um, how have you, what what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned as an endurance athlete when you go back to work in terms of in your day job?
2: I'd I'd say that there's been some really powerful lessons that I've learned through this whole process. The candidly transcends endurance sports and they're, they're equally applicable to, to business and, and more broadly speaking to life in general. We've, we've talked about some of them. It's the power of mindset, the fact that we're all capable of so much more than we think, um, and, and the importance of embracing the, the hard work that is required to pursue any big goal, whether it's these endurance events or, you know, as we said earlier, sales goals or projects and the like. But for me in particular, I would say that the two things that really stand out is I would say, number one is teamwork and number two is gratitude.
1: Uh, can I, can I, I stop you? And just for the, on one moment on that, because I yeah. want to make sure we don't lose it. I noticed when you talked about Uberman that multiple times you use the pronoun we. We, yeah. we did this. And I, I'm realizing like, this, this may look like it's a solo sport, but correct me if I'm wrong. You're not in the Pacific Ocean at night by yourself, right? There's other people who are part of this team with you.
2: Yeah, you, you're required to have a boat and a captain and, and a crew. For Uberman in particular, um, my brother, uh, Lincoln, who has been with me and crewed many of these endurance races and who is, he's, he's terrific. Um, and a very good friend of mine, actually a mentor of mine in this business, John Bartlett, uh, who hired me um, many, many years ago in uh, to, to cover the Southern California region. Um, the two of them, through the entirety of the race, crewed me from start to finish wow. and and I do use the word "we" because most people think of these um, these sort of ultra distance events about they think about it as an individual effort, but mm-hmm. the, the truth is market could not be further from the truth. These kind of things require an enormous team effort, not just from your family that makes all these sacrifices to allow you to train and prepare, um, your coaches that help you build and monitor your training plans. And, and as we just talked about your crew that supports you during the race themselves. I mean, they're just as tired and as sleep deprived as you are, and sure. they are, they're a critical aspect of it. So I would say that the importance of team just can't be understated, whether it's in these races or whether it's in the, the, the business community and our day-to-day lives within business. Um, I, I think the second big thing, and, and I'll use the word gratitude, and that is the emotions that you feel when you have pushed yourself physically and mentally to the other side of your limits, um, it's really hard to describe. And and more than the personal satisfaction of completing the goal itself, there is this this overwhelming sense of gratitude. Gratitude for, I would say, the experience, um, for the personal growth, for all the people that you meet along the way and again, especially for those that have supported you um, in the the training and the preparation,
1: and, and again that that sense of gratitude, uh, it applies to business as well. Almost like within your your the races you've just described, there's pain and there's suffering, but there's also this beauty if if you can find it. So, what would you say has changed most? Can I actually, uh, can I make a point on what you just said? I sure. I think for
2: a lot of it is the beauty comes from the suffering yeah I, I think we have to suffer sometimes and struggle um to appreciate things and in looking back on these races my fondest memories are overcoming the adversity of struggle. and, and i struggled a lot at, at many many points just like in in business and throughout my career the fondest memories i have were building those businesses and the hard times and doing that and And I agree with you, it's tragic to see lives lost, but this is also a really unique opportunity to sort of um, reset, uh, rethink, and kind of reimagine perhaps where we wanna take the trajectory of our lives um,
1: after this. What is your strategy uh, when you think about ongoing learning? Uh, How do you approach it? Um, Well,
2: I, I think first is the belief that we never stop learning. We're always seeking um, new ways to grow personally uh, and professionally. In, in my role um, as an investment executive, I, I'm discussing these ever-changing environment as it relates to the economy and capital markets. And I'm talking with financial professionals every day. And this requires continual research and understanding as we try and make sense of the implication of all these different events and how it may impact markets. I'd also say, um, whether it's in my professional life or even some of these endurance endeavors that I've taken on, I think one of the keys to ongoing learning is, I'd say to simply put yourself out there, right? To to take on new goals, to be willing to try new things, knowing that you may not have all the answers at the beginning. There's a great line from a a guy by the name of Ross Edgley who says that you need to
1: be naive enough to start and stubborn enough to finish. You know, I have to tell you, Adam, I'm going to write that quote down because uh, for me, it's deeply personal. A Lego couldn't be a better example of a company that was co-founded by one co-founder who was clearly naive enough to start. Right, because I had no idea what was involved in getting into the software business other than thinking we would call some people and they would make an app for us. That, that's what I thought. That was my level of naivete when we first started talking about this. But then to your point, that stubbornness, um, whether you call it persistence, whether you call it resilience, it, it's a hallmark of, of entrepreneurs and really anyone with an entrepreneurial spirit. And it, tra- it connects back to the, the endurance force that you're talking about. There's common denominators across athletics across the arts across for almost everybody that ability to stick to it over time and to to pace yourself realizing it's not um it's not something that can be done in one shot you have to be able to stay in it in a long time so i love the notion of whether it's stubbornness or persistence to keep at it and i'm assuming your manager's not or pardon me your coach is not Um, Mm -hmm. sitting with you at 4.30 in the morning when you're spinning or necessarily with you at all these different times, but your coach is remotely accessing that data and being able to look at it and provide insights to you.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll take it one step further. So uh, two years ago when I was training for um, what's called the Triple Crown of 200, some of those mountain ultra marathons, um, my coach, I reached out to a gentleman by the name of Jeff uh, browning he goes by the pseudonym uh, Bronco Billy. he he is literally one of the top ultra distance runners in the country and I, I reached out to him and just said listen i'm a, I'm a middle-aged father of four you know I'm trying to do these these crazy races I need some help and uh, he came on board to help coach me and give me guidance I've never met him personally and we worked together for um, a year training for those races and our relationship is incredibly strong and we talked all the time but so it's a um, virtual coaching relationship. Yeah, I've ne- I've never met him in real life, but but yet we've we've, <laughs> you know, connected on so many occasions. It's uh it's amazing. So well, that
1: may be a that may be a great model for the future when you think about, um, in, in financial services, for example, the ride along sort of having been a standard between a manager and a salesperson, and, and certainly in this time not really happening. But you're you're living proof that the results that a coach can provide to you does not require that that coach necessarily is with you in the performance. Adam, who else do you look to for inspiration as you continue to push your comfort zone and expand the boundaries of what's possible?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I'm always looking for inspiration. Um, and I find that what tends to motivate me um, is is often not from anyone who's famous who, or whose name you might recognize, but rather the people you've probably never heard of. I, I'm a big believer, as, as we talked earlier, about mindset and the power of belief. And what I try and do is fill in the space between my ears, aspirational stories of really everyday people who have put in the work um, and gone on to accomplish some really extraordinary things. I, I, am, I am not an elite athlete by any stretch. I'm a middle-aged full-time executive. I'm a father of four. Um, I grew up a Husky kid. I've battled weight issues my whole life. Um, but I resonate personally with the stories of everyday people who, let, let me say, who dare to dream, um, who have to juggle competing priorities in life who overcome difficult odds and, and who value the experience of pursuing something that might be bigger than themselves. Those are the people that I, that I look to for inspiration.
1: As we start to wrap up now, um, I'm using this phrase adapting in action. What's the one thing that you would recommend our listeners do now based on all of the things we've discussed? That's a great question.
2: Um, You know, listen, not all of us have the desire to take on these ultra endurance events. I I get that. But I think each of us have goals, have dreams that may be currently unfulfilled. It could be to start a new business. Uh, It could be to learn a new skill. Um, It could be to embark on a healthier lifestyle. I think what's important uh, is to realize the power that resides within each of us to to take on new challenges, to, what I'll say, overcome difficult odds, and to achieve really so much more than we think we can. Um, When you go down that path, the outcome will never be certain. And the process is certainly difficult, but the journey of pursuing these things is forever rewarding. And and what I've come to find in in doing so, every now and then, you might just surprise yourself on what you can can actually accomplish. And in the end, and this is an important part, that if you happen to come up short, Mm
0: -hmm. know
2: that you will have gotten so much further ahead than had you not begun at all. So I guess my one piece of advice um, would be to just start. So many of us are looking for all the answers and the perfect plan before we begin, when so often it's the taking action, however small, that sets us on that path towards success.
1: I think that is such a great reminder. I, I heard a great speaker talk about this in the same context Adam, he talked about that all you really need to be concerned about. If you think about in a car when you're driving at night, the the headlights really only project a hundred to two hundred feet ahead of you. You don't know what's happening uh, on the road beyond that. But getting in the car and starting to drive forward, all you need to focus on is that one to two hundred feet in front of you, and the rest will present itself as it needs to. It's it's a it's such a
2: it's it's exactly right. I mean. When I, when I dove into the Pacific Ocean, knowing I had 556 miles across the ocean, mountains, and desert ahead of myself, um, the totality of that is overwhelming. And so what you focus on is just one stroke at a time, uh, one pedal at a time, one step at a time, and, and each, with each one, a momentum build as we talked about, and it's an incredibly powerful force that will
1: nudge you, if you will, towards that, uh, towards that finish line. If people want to learn more about uh, what you're doing in terms of this part of your, your work and uh, how to reach you, what's the best way to do that? Um,
2: I would say in the corporate world, probably the best place to connect with me is on, is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm up there. It's under my name, Adam Scully Power. Um, Scully is S-C-U-L-L-Y and then it's hyphen power P-O-W-E-R. I I guess a good way to close Mark is to say that you know I've been really fortunate to have had some uh, incredible opportunities both professionally and and athletically in some of these events but what really drives me today um, is this desire to try and be that that affirmational nudge that I spoke about earlier. I, I wanna be that affirmational nudge for others to help them reimagine, if you will, the boundaries of what they think is possible and to take, you said it a, a moment ago, to take action, but decisive action to try and find the other side of, of their own perceived limits. So if anyone has any questions or wants to connect with me, I'm, I'm happy. help in any way that I can. And I appreciate you having me here today.
1: Um, Really a pleasure
0: to have you as part of our Adapters Advantage podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to allegocom lego.com virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.